Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Today is our 128th anniversary as a church, and in looking back at the 128-year history of First Baptist Church, my heart is full of gratitude in so many ways. The gratitude of looking at the names of those eight members who in 1894 held their first service on May the 20th in hopes and anticipation of what God would do in this city. A city at the time which was nothing but horse and buggies. I have the gratitude of being able to follow the pastoral labors of men like C.W. Gregory or Winfield Edison or Frank Kepner or Larry Chapel or John Wilkerson, Michael Jones, Louis Parada. I'm thankful currently for the pastoral work of men like Derek Wilkerson, Carl Valesteros, Juan Hernandez, Evan Schofield, Nisei Hemp, Yang Mu Kim. I'm grateful also for the service of the deacons that we have. Men like Julio Alcantar, George Johnson, Jenner Munoz, Fletcher Bunales, Jason Homestead, Dwight Ford, Pablo Armenta. God has given to us great leadership at this church. And God has raised up from our ranks men who lead us in ways of truth, in holiness, in righteousness. But men who lead us in a way that reaches the community in which we serve. My heart is full of gratitude of learning that Although there were times in First Baptist history where we were behind budget and underfunded and in need of resources, those seasons only served to remind the church that there is nothing too hard for God. And they have given way to a spirit of generosity in this church. So that we give in ways to further the gospel, not just in our city, but all around the globe. I have the gratitude of knowing that the earthquake in 1933 that destroyed much of downtown Long Beach, including the buildings of First Baptist Church, provided an enduring spirit to the congregation that led them to invest even more in their buildings. The buildings that we utilize every day. A building that we sit in right now. Provided to us from those congregations. Have the gratitude of knowing that the church has grown. From its origin of a horse and buggy congregation. To a home away from home for sailors to a diverse congregation which reflects the city in which we live right now. The First Baptist Church experienced the arrival of the first electric trolley in 1902 to Long Beach. The First Baptist Church experienced the telephone arrival in 1903. The First Baptist Church was here when the port of Long Beach was established in 1911. The First Baptist Church was here at the discovery of oil in our city in 1921. The First Baptist Church was here when the first race of the Long Beach Grand Prix ran in 1975. The First Baptist Church of Long Beach was here when they permanently docked the Queen Mary in 1967 or the opening of the Aquarium of the Pacific in 1998. First Baptist Church of Long Beach was here when all of these things transpired in this city. Even today, the emergence of more smartphone Bibles in church than actually print Bibles in church. 
We should not pass too quickly. When we think of all the things that have changed in this city, the gratitude of knowing that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let that sink in for just a moment. That although Long Beach, the Long Beach we live in today is completely different from the Long Beach of 1894, the Christ that we serve is the same. So is it not then amazing that this church under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the allegiance to the Word of God has for over a century stood in the midst of the greatest changes that this world has ever seen. How does that happen? And none of the people who made up the congregation of First Baptist Church in 1894 are a part of the church today. And yet, it is the same church. How does that happen? It happens because individual members of First Baptist Church, that even though some come and some go, that the enduring life of the church does not consist of any one member or any one group of members. Rather, the life of this church consists of the life of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who calls shepherds and sheep in every generation to himself in this congregation. The church consists throughout all of these things because of the power of the Holy Spirit of God who moves individual members in this congregation to bear fruit to his honor and to his glory. It consists because of the reality of faith, of the gospel of Jesus Christ that is evidenced in individual members who give, who serve, who love, who sing, who take turns in the nursery, who work on bus routes, who teach children, who give offerings. It consists of the worship of God as God is revealed to us in the scriptures. It consists because we've given ourselves to the mission which is to reach the lost with, with the good news of Jesus Christ. The church consists in spite of all these changes and throughout all of these years because we've committed ourselves to a biblical structure of leadership and accountability which is formed not by opinion and not by culture and not by society and not by what is popular and not by likes or dislikes, but an opinion that is formed on the basis of the word of God, which is all that we need for life and godliness. Individual members come and go. But these realities, they do not come and go. They remain. And they remain the same. And if we, as members of this church at this local moment, would see to it that if God delays his coming, that this church would still be here 128 years from now, we must commit ourselves to these same realities. That is the challenge of standing at an anniversary Sunday. That is the challenge at standing at moments like this and looking back at our history. Yes, we are thankful for it and we are inspired because of it. But if that is all we do today, then that is not enough. We must look at these realities, we must look at these truths, and we must press in to greater and deeper truths. We must hold these same truths for us for generations to come. And with that, I would like to take a moment and recognize just a few individuals in our congregation this morning. If you are a deacon of our church, would you please stand to your feet for just a moment? 
like to publicly thank I'd like to publicly thank these men who serve, who give, who invest. They invest their personal resources, their personal time. They visit, they care. They carry the weight of this church in ways that you will probably never know, but in ways that benefit you as a congregation in each and every week. They do so without acknowledgement. They do so without reward. They do so without any sense or desire to be applauded or, or pat on the back. These men do not walk around this church with a big button that reads, I'm a deacon, I'm important. These men walk around this church with aprons and gloves, with vacuum cleaners in hand. And they serve you. They serve you on a regular basis. And we as a congregation are blessed to have men like this serve us in the way that they do. Would you thank them with a round of applause for just a moment this morning? You stay standing for just a second if you men don't mind. I'd like to acknowledge another group of individuals. And that is a group of individuals. If, if you have been a member of our church for 30 or more years, been a member of First Baptist Church for 30 or more years, would you please stand to your feet? 30 or more years, would you please stand to your feet? Stay standing for just a moment. These, these men and women have seen a lot of changes in this church. Seen people come and go. They see programs start and finish. They've seen missionaries supported. They've seen pastors and staff. They've seen teachers. And they've put up with it all. And here they still stand. They, they do not stand here today because this church is a perfect church. In fact, if you would ask these individual members, has First Baptist Church been a perfect church? They'd be quick to tell you no. The reality is there are no perfect churches. If you're looking for a perfect church, don't join it. Because you will ruin it. And God doesn't call us to be perfect. God calls us to strive in labor of faithfulness and obedience to his word. These men and women... They don't stand here as perfect church members. They stand here as members who have, who have strived and who have strove to be men and women who are faithful and obedient to the word of God, to the cause of God, and to the congregation, the people of God of First Baptist Church. There's another group I'd like to recognize, and that is, if you've been a member of this church for 20 or more years, would you please, please join those who are still standing? With 20 or more years, would you stand? I told someone, well, our church is celebrating 128 years this Sunday. And the person goes, wow, did you start the church? <laughs> been, a, been a member of the church for 20 years. It feels like sometimes you're the one who started the church. Seen a lot that have happened. And I, for one, am thankful for your faithfulness. If you've been a member of this church for 10 or more years, would you please join those that are standing? 10 or more years, would you please join these that are standing? <laughs> 10 or more years, that's a lot of offerings. That's a lot of Greater Things projects. It's a lot of paint. We're thankful for their labor of love. This is what is exciting about Sundays like this. Because while you look around the room and we are thankful for this group that stands, having been a part of this congregation for 10 or more years, look at the group not standing. Those are the ones that God has brought to this congregation as a result of your faithfulness over the last several decades. There are times when it feels as if it is not worth the labor anymore. No, no, it is. It is, and look around you as evidence of that. You've been a part of this congregation for five or, or more years. Would you please stand? Five or more years. You join us in standing there.
All right, we're going to do the slow countdown from here. How about four or more years? Would you stand? How about three or more years? How about two or more years? How about one year? How about this is your first time here today? Why don't you, why don't you stand? A round of applause. Let's all stand together. The ensemble's going to come. And they're going to lead us in a song. Let's stand together. Everyone stand with us. We're so thankful that you're with us. You're a part of our congregation today. If you're here, here's what we want you to know. You're family. And you are welcome here. You're not family because of flesh and blood. We're family because of what Christ did for us when he shed his blood on the cross to forgive us of our sin. And we're thankful that you're with us. And we're going to have a great day this morning. We're going to sing this song and we'll move on in our service. The sun comes up, it's a new day dawning, it's time to sing your song again, whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name, sing like never before, oh my soul, I'll worship Your holy Your name is great and your heart is kind. For all your goodness I will keep on singing. Ten thousand reasons for my heart to find. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. His holy name, sing like never before, oh my soul, I'll worship your holy name, I'll worship your holy name, and on that day, draws near and my time has come, still my soul will sing your praise unending, ten thousand years and then forevermore, bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh told my wife a minute ago, I don't think he's going to count all the way down to five months, so we're probably, we don't get to stand today, but I, I'm thankful, I don't know about you, I'm just thankful to be a link in the chain. You looked, it goes back for so long, 
just because people like you were here on good days and bad days. We're faithful to the Lord. We're faithful to the Lord's work in this place. And we're all, we're all benefactors of that. Coupling with Anniversary Sunday, we're very excited to be able to do our Greater Things Project, which this is the first one for me, but many of you, as Pastor said, have given to many of those, and you know what that's all about. Um, this year, we're going to be working on the gymnasium. As some of you know who've been in the summer volleyball leagues or you have kids who play school sports, those restrooms, you, even when COVID was over, you're still wearing your COVID masks to go in those bathrooms sometime. They are not the nicest, and that's come to our attention, and we're excited to be able to do something about that. So throughout this summer, those bathrooms will be ripped out completely. We'll get new flooring, new walls. We'll change the layout some to make it work a little better for restroom use as well as locker rooms for the teams. Um, you'll be able to use them during summer volleyball and whatever other events the church will host up there. And that'll all be replaced. It'll be made new. And we're excited to look back at the end of the summer and see that done. Uh, but that's what today's offering is for today. I'd like to show you a verse real quickly. In Nehemiah chapter 2, I'll read it to you in verse 20. The Bible says this, and you know this well from Pastor's series through this book, but Nehemiah says, Then answered I them and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore, because he will prosper us, therefore we his servants will arise and build. But ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. And we are not like Nehemiah in that we're not rebuilding a wall, we are not building in Jerusalem. But this verse is an important pattern that God's people are to build God's work. That's what he says. Look at it again. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. And I'm thankful for the opportunity to take responsibility for our church. And I hope that's your attitude. This is not a burden or a yearly pledge drive, but rather an opportunity for God's people to build God's work. And we're excited for that. We don't want you to give what you don't have. We don't want you to go above and beyond. We don't want you to give for the praise of anyone but the Lord. But this is what we ask that today you'd ask God to guide your heart and what he would have you to do to be a part of the greater things offering this year, to build this place to be better for you and your family, for the families that sit around you today, and for those who will be reached and come into our buildings to hear about the Lord and have a nicer place to be. And that's our goal. That's our heart today. So we ask you, church, just like Nehemiah did, that we would arise and build together today and look forward to what God has for us. As you can see on the screen, just like normally, there are the four ways to give. As you designate, you can scroll down. To, is there, there may be a greater things option depending on which platform you use. Um, if you don't see it, you can scroll down and designate, but there should be an option there for greater things. If it's on an envelope, you can designate very clearly there and drop it in the boxes at the back. We also have the website, the text to give and the Vanco app. Whichever one of those ways is easiest for you, we'd be blessed, and I think you would be blessed if you'd give to that today. Let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you so much for 128 years of heritage in the city. God, we ask that you please be with our service today. Speak to our hearts from your word, God, just as you have every Sunday for so long. We ask that you'd be praised in our song. We ask that you'd be praised in the preaching and in the fellowship after, God, that your people would lift up your name in this place today. In your name we pray, amen. What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold, my hope is only
night is dark, but I am not forsaken. For by my side, the Savior, he will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing, for in my need, his power is displayed. To this I hold, my shepherd will defend me. Through the deepest valley he will lead. Oh, the night has been won, and I shall overcome, yet not I, but through Christ in me. I dread, I know I am forgiven. The future sure, the price it has been paid. For Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon, and he was raised to overthrow the grave. To this I hold, my sin has been defeated. Jesus now and ever is my plea. Oh, the chains are released, I can sing. I am free, yet not I, but through Christ in me. every breath I long to follow Jesus for he has said that he will bring me home and day by day I know he will renew me until I stand with joy before the throne to this I hold, my hope is only Jesus, all the glory evermore to Him. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Take your Bibles this morning and go with me to the book of Lamentation. The book of Lamentation and chapter number 3. Lamentation and chapter 3. If you don't have your Bible with you this morning, there should be one perhaps in the back of the seat in front of you. Maybe in the back of the seat behind you, you'll find a copy of God's Word. And we're going to go to Lamentation chapter number 3. The easiest way to get there is probably open the Bible, find the book of Psalms, okay? Then just start walking backwards from the book of Psalms. So walk toward the New Testament and you'll find Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, all right? So that's the book that we're going to be in. And we're going to be in Lamentation in chapter number 3 this morning. And if you found your place and if you're willing and able, would you stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's Word? Lamentation chapter 3, and we're going to read beginning in verse number 20. Lamentation chapter 3, verse number 20, and we're going to go down to verse number 26. The Bible reads like this. 
My soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. This I recall to my mind, and therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, and therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him and to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would use these words in our lives. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, Amen. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. The setting of Lamentation chapter 3 is that it is written during the year of 50, 80, or 586 B.C. That doesn't mean a lot to you and to me. The fact that it's 586 B.C. is lost on us. But 586 was their September the 11th. It was a day when, as a nation, they were attacked from an imposing enemy. Not a house was left standing. The walls of the city were destroyed. There was nothing but piles of brick. A few smoldering mounds here and there. Most people were killed. Some were taken captive. Jeremiah is writing the book of Lamentation as a war correspondent. He's recording in this book everything he sees, everything he hears, everything he smells. And Jeremiah is lamenting it. He's moaning, he's crying, he's heartbroken because he sees these starving people left digging through piles of rubble, looking for any signs of life from a potential survivor, having known that they've lost all that they currently had. And the greatest tragedy is that all of this, it could have been averted. In fact, Jeremiah had warned them for 40 years. He had warned them that they should repent, that they should turn from their sin, that they should humble themselves in the sight of God, and that they should seek to be obedient to God. And in response, the people of Jerusalem mocked him, imprisoned him, laughed at him, scorned him, rejected him, made him to be the outsider it wasn't just that they didn't listen to Jeremiah. They didn't listen to the likes of Daniel. They didn't listen to the likes of Habakkuk. The Israelites, instead of listening to the word of God, they continued to rebel toward God. Despite all of its warnings. Despite all of the calls to heed God. Until it was too late. And Babylon entered. 586 and destroyed everything. What's interesting is what Jeremiah does not write. Jeremiah does not write the I told you so chronicles. That's not what this is. And Jeremiah writes a heartbreaking letter to the people of God 
who have just suffered one of the greatest losses that they could possibly ever imagine. They are living in an uncertain world and Jeremiah is writing to give them a confidence. Similar to Jeremiah's day, we live in an uncertain world. Houses are in ruin. The walls of truth have been torn down. People are starving in their sin as they dig through the trash of this world hoping to find some small thing that might bring satisfaction. And in the midst of, a, of an uncertain world, let me give you a few certain truths that you can be confident in. As we look back today at our church's history and as we look forward today of what God might do with our congregation in the years to come, there is a lot that we are not certain of, but there are a few things that we can be confident in, and here they are. First, we can be confident that God has mercy in the middle of mayhem. God has mercy in the middle of mayhem. Look at, look at verse number 20. My soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. And this I recall to my mind, and therefore have I hope that it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. It is because his compassions fail not. So Jeremiah looking at the smoke of judgment. He focuses on God's mercy. He says, it is of God's mercy that we are not consumed. And Jeremiah is seeing death and destruction all around him. In fact, if you want to read of what it is that Jeremiah is seeing, in verse number 20, he calls it affliction. And in verse number 19, rather, he calls it affliction and misery. In verse number 9, he says that all of his ways have been boxed in. He feels as if he's trapped. It's hewn stone. He says in verse number 8 that he's done nothing but cry out and shout to God. And yet God, it seems as if, has simply turned off his prayer. Notice, shutteth out my prayer. He says God has laid on him, in verse number 7, a heavy chain. He feels as if he's bound by this, as if he can't get this weight off of him. He says he's trapped in by a hedge in verse number 7. He says God has set him in a dark place. And then notice verse number 10. He says if, it's as if there were bears and lions that were just crouching in wait for him to come along, make some move, say something, and they were going to jump out and they were going to pounce on him. Jeremiah says, my soul hath them. All of those things, my soul hath them still in remembrance. And yet, I recall to my mind, verse number 20, that it is of the Lord's mercy, verse 22, it is of the Lord's mercy that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. So Jeremiah says, although there is affliction and turmoil and mayhem and hurt and difficulty and confusion all around me, I am reminding myself that this is not the end. We may be down, he says, but we are not out. We may be troubled and we may be persecuted, but we are not decimated. We, we are not abandoned by our God. And so it is with every one of us in our lives. That every person faces mayhem. Every person faces times of hardship or difficulty or confusion or turmoil or suffering. We all experience these things. The psalmist says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You heard that right. That there are seasons in your life and in mine where what we are called to walk through is a valley of the shadow of death. The psalmist doesn't say that God airlifts us mountain peak to mountain peak. 
That would be nice if that were the way it happened. But that is not the reality that we face in this life. That as you grow, as you mature, as you develop, the longer you live, you find out that life is really full of all kinds of things that you did not plan. You did not hope for. You did not anticipate. You did not see coming. That you never wanted to happen to you and yet it did. And you find yourself over and over in this life with all of those things that have happened to you that you wish would never have happened or happened for whatever reason. And yet here they stand and there you stand in the middle of that mayhem. Jeremiah is reminding us that in the middle of that season, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Mercy is a word that's used 250 plus times in the Old Testament. Sometimes the word is translated loving kindness. It's the same word, mercy, loving kindness. They're inexchangeable words. What the word means is it means that God acts toward you in ways of love. That's what the word mercy means. Loving kindness. It means God acts towards you. The things he does in your life, he does because of love. Not because of anger. Not because he's mad at you. Not because he detests you. Not because he hates you. No, no, no. God's acts towards you are acts of love. They're acts of loving kindness. They are mercy. This is what he says. It is the Lord's mercy. His act of love toward us. That is the reason why we are not consumed. So whatever you experience in this life, according to the word of God, it is an act of love. And here is the problem. The problem with that is that we are not good at understanding acts of love. Let me illustrate it like this. My children think that I hate them because I make them go to the dentist. And they say things like, I don't want to go to the dentist. Do you know what they do to me in the dentist? They poke and they drill, and they fill, and they have these medieval tools that they crank open my mouth with, and they work on my teeth, and it is not comfortable. And dad, if you really loved me, you wouldn't make me go to the dentist because I don't like it. But you're old enough, you're smart enough, you're wise enough to know. That I make my kids go to the dentist not because I'm angry with them. I make them go to the dentist because I love them. I know that if they do not clean their teeth, they run the risk of getting gum disease. I, I know they don't get their cavities filled. Then bigger problems happen when their teeth fall out of their mouth. Because I love them. I make them go to the dentist. But for my kids, they cannot understand that as an act of love. And so it is with us and God. But infinitely greater. We see what God brings our way. We experience particular difficulties in this life. And we are so tempted to respond to God as if he were acting toward us aggressively. Or if he were acting toward us in a harsh manner. Or if he were acting toward us in a way which he was angry. No, no, no. God's acts to you and me are acts of love. C.H. McIntosh writes it this way. He says, 10,000 mercies are forgotten at the presence of one trifling moment. You know what he says? 10,000 mercies that God pours out on our lives in a thousand different ways every day. We forget them as soon as trouble shows up. As if God does not, does not love me any longer. 
Here is a prophet looking at the devastation and destruction around him. And here's what he is saying. I am going to recall to my mind, God is merciful. And do you, you say, well, well, Jeremiah, what's the proof that God has been merciful to you? Jeremiah says, here is the proof. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. It is of the Lord's mercy that we have not been completely wiped out and obliterated. So even in the middle of mayhem, God is merciful. God has mercy for us. There's a second truth that Jeremiah shows us this morning. and That is this, that God's resources will match whatever is required in life. Look, look at verse 23. They are new, notice, every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Let me ask you a question. According to verse 23, what, what's new every morning? What's new every morning? Mercy. How, how often is it new? Every day. You, you, have to, you have to get how significant this is for Jeremiah. This is someone who is standing essentially at ground zero, September the 11th, 2001, lifting up his head, looking at this disaster, this destruction, standing. That's how bad it was in Jerusalem. Looking at this and saying, God's mercy is new every morning. Great is God's faithfulness. And the amazing thing about that is Jeremiah is making a declaration. He, he's not basing that. Great is God's faithfulness. He is not basing that on his experiences going well or good. It's, it's not based on what he is seeing or hearing or smelling. It's based on what he knows to be true about God. The city that Jeremiah is looking at is burned with fire. The smell that Jeremiah smells is rotten flesh. The, the, the sounds that Jeremiah hears are the cries of the people around him. And yet what Jeremiah is saying is the Lord's mercy is why we have not already been consumed. It's why we are not completely obliterated. And oh yeah, by the way, it, those mercies, those acts of love that God has toward us, they are new every morning because God is faithful. Jeremiah is saying, whatever the day throws at you, God will match it with mercy. Whatever need you have, God will match it with the resources from him. Every single morning this next week, no matter what awaits you, God's mercy will be there for you. Every single morning this next month, no matter what awaits you, God's mercy will be new for you on that day. There is a fresh supply of mercy. Here's the, here's the thing about mercy. God's mercy is like, is like the manna from the Old Testament. Do you remember the manna from the Old Testament? Remember the children of Israel? And every day they, they walked out of their tents as they were wandering their way through the wilderness. The Bible says every day they walked out and God fed them with manna from the sky. You remember that? If you say, well, pastor, what is manna? What does it taste like? It probably tastes like a blueberry Pop-Tart. Or a double-double from In-N-Out, one of those two things. Or perhaps both. Every day they walk out, they get, they get manna. But you remember what happened with the manna? If they tried to take more than they needed in the day, if they went outside and they went, i, I, I got to take as much manna as I can. Do you, do you know how many kids I have to fill? Do you know the coming recession? You see the rate of inflation? Do you know who's in office? i got to store up as much manna as I can. You remember what happened? What happened? 
The next day, it was rotten. Smelt like worms. It was like a, a junior hire without shoes on. That's exactly what it smelled like. No, God says, no, no, that's not how it works. You're, 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 not going, you're not going to come, take this from me, and never see me again for the next 30 days. No, no, no. You're going to depend on my mercy every morning. And I'll show you I'm faithful. That's what God was teaching them. God was teaching them, no, 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 I'll show you, I'll feed you every day, but you're only going to take enough for one day. You say, well, why? Why would God do that? God did that because he wanted to teach the Israelites that he is a faithful God who we could depend on every day. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm suggesting to you, Perhaps the reason you do not think of God as merciful is because you are not depending on him every morning. You are not counting on him every day. You are not waking up and walking out of your tent looking for the mercy of God to get you through the day. You say, well, pastor, how do I do that? How, how, do I, how do I set my sights? How do I remind my mind of the mercy of God? Here's the easiest way that I know. Start every day, start every morning in the word of God. A verse, a chapter, a book, a letter. Start every day in the word of God. And God, through his word, will remind you of his faithfulness. You want to see the faithfulness of God? Here's how faithful God is. Every morning that you have ever been alive, the sun has come up. You, you will not go to bed this evening worried if the sun will rise tomorrow. It is so consistent. It is so Faithful. That, that meteorologists will tell us, they will predict for us today what exact moment the sun will set. They will predict to you what exact moment the sun will rise tomorrow. That is how faithful God is. They, they tell you when the when the high tide will be, when the low tide will be. And the reason that they can do that is because of the faithfulness of God that is demonstrated every morning in the sun coming up and in the sun going down. It is the faithfulness of God. And that faithfulness is of great value. There is great value in consistency. Let me, let me prove it to you. Uh, imagine if every time you sat down at your computer, the keys on your keyboard, they, they rearranged into a new configuration. Imagine it just moved. Every time you sat down there, they moved and they adjusted. How difficult would it be to type? ASDFJKL semicolon would not be in the right spot. You would be typing gobbledygook. That's what you would be typing. Uh, imagine if the traffic light went in a different pattern. It wasn't consistent. Red, green, yellow, red. Imagine you just decided to jump around two reds at one time. Ah! Imagine if you walk into your local grocery store and they decided that they're just going to rearrange all the products to different rows and aisles. This is where the milk was yesterday. Where is the milk today? You see, you see how frustrated you would get? How the easy, mundane, simple tasks of life would become so irritable. See, consistency, faithfulness, is of great value. But we don't think of it like that. 
And God says, no, 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 you, you want to see what I value? I value these things. This is one of the great things about our God. Our God is faithful. Our God is faithful even though we are not faithful to him. That's what Paul tells Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2. If we are faithless, he, speaking of God, remains faithful. Are, are you glad that God does not treat you with mercy and kindness the way that we respond to him with dependence and faith? God is not interacting in your life in ways as if they were some kind of contractual obligation. You do this, I do that. You do this, I do that. You do this, I do that. That's not how God interacts with you and me. God does not act with, toward us in some kind of contractual obligation. God acts to us in covenantal love. His moves toward us are always moves of love. God did not send Jesus into this world to condemn the world. No, no, no. He sent Jesus into the world to demonstrate to the world just how much he loves us. John chapter 3. This is not an act of condemnation. This is an act of love, he says. Even though there are times in my life where I am inconsistent, God is always consistent. Even though there are times in my life where I go through seasons and phases and valleys, God is always faithful. And this is what God wants from you. This is what God is asking from you. God is asking for faithfulness. By, by faithfulness, I do not mean perfection. We all fail. But, but what, by faithfulness, what I mean is that when we fail, we stop, we repent, we humble ourselves in the sight of God, and we go back and remind ourselves of the word of God. And what we'll find when we do that is we'll find a new dose of mercy. A fresh dose of mercy which makes life livable. It makes it possible to get through the seasons of our lives. I need to remind you at this point also that God's mercies, while they are always present, while God is consistently merciful to us, God's mercies are not always visible. They're like Jeremiah, we must learn to discern his mercy. Notice what he is saying. He says in verse number 20, my soul hath them still in remembrance. What's he remembering? He's remembering the affliction. He's remembering the misery. He's remembering what it was like to be, to be attacked by a bear. That's what he's saying. I remember what that was like. And so, he says in verse 21, this I recall to my mind. Here is what I am going to think about. Look at verse 24. My soul saith. To who? Who is his soul talking to? He's talking to himself. Do you ever talk to yourself? How many of you, you talk to yourself and you know it and you're proud of it? Let me see. Raise your hand. Raise it, raise it. The people who didn't raise their hand, you're asking yourself right now, should I raise my hand? People are going to think I'm weird if I raise my hand. I'm not going to raise. I find myself talking to myself all the time. Amanda always tells me, it's okay to talk to yourself, but if you start answering yourself, we have problems. You know what Jeremiah is doing? Jeremiah is talking to himself. What do you tell yourself when you talk to yourself? The mercies of God? The faithfulness of God? The consistency of God? The love of God? Or do you find yourself always remembering the shame, the guilt, the embarrassment. Keeping yourself under the, what Jeremiah called the heavy chain. 
Not reminding yourself that Christ died in our place to set us free from the guilt and shame that we experience in this life. No, no, no. We need to remind ourselves that God is faithful to love us even when we are faithless to him. Matthew Henry tells a story of one night he was walking to his home from a Bible study. On his way home, a handful of robbers jumped out and held him at knife point. They took all of his earthly possessions, but they left Matthew Henry alive. Matthew Henry was shaken up. He went home. He began to write in his prayer journal that evening. Matthew Henry wrote these words. God, I thank thee, first, because I was never robbed before. Second, because although they took my purse, they did not take my life. Third, because though, I, though they took my all, it was not much. And fourth, because it was I that was robbed. And not I who did the robbing. Is that what you would say about that event? Would you count the mercy of God in that event? Would you tell yourself, God was merciful to me even in that? That is what Jeremiah is doing. He is reminding himself that God's resources will match whatever situation we find ourselves in. We've got to close, and here's the last one. Jeremiah says, third, God's delays do not mean God's denials. Look what he says in verse 24. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. You know, you know what two words you read over and over in that text? You read the words hope and wait, hope and wait, hope and wait. Jeremiah is waiting in hope. Wait and hope are the words of, of a man who is anticipating God to move in some great way in the future. Jeremiah is saying, yes, the situation I'm in is bad, but it's not the end. It's not over yet. I'm still waiting and I'm still hoping in God. I told you at the beginning of the sermon, Jeremiah has spent 40 years, 40 years Running around the city telling people, the Babylonians are coming. The Babylonians are coming. The Babylonians are coming. God will judge you. Turn, repent, live in accordance to his word. This place will be brought down. You will be taken captive. And for 40 years, Jeremiah did not have one convert. He did not have one person who said, you're right, I'm going to repent. He did not have one person who said, you know what, I, I think you're right. I'm going to come to your church. And then it happened. 586 B.C. And Jeremiah is writing it all in the book of Lamentation. But during that 40 years, Jeremiah had said something else. He said that although... God would come in and judge this people. That Jerusalem would be destroyed. That they would be taken captive. Hostage because of sin. He says that God will restore them. And did you know this? That after 70 years in captivity in Babylon. Jeremiah says that you. The people of God. Will come back to the city of God. And God will rebuild 
you. And so he is saying in this text, in Lamentation chapter 3, wait and hope. Wait and hope. You see what he's doing, friend? He is giving, he is giving space for God to give the answer. Can I, can I make a confession to you this morning? Even if you say no, I'm going to do it anyway, so... I am not good at waiting. I hate waiting. Anybody with me? You hate waiting? Okay. You know why I hate waiting? Because I feel like when I'm waiting, I'm wasting time. And so I hate it. Because I could be doing this, or I could be doing that, or I could be there, I could be here, I could be this. I hate waiting, I get so frustrated. Why can't these people just do their job? Uh, How long does it take? Just take the hamburger, flip it over, take the hamburger, flip it over, done. Why are we waiting so long? Ah, this is wasted. Listen, with God, waiting is never wasted. And here's why. Here's why. Because while you're waiting, God is working. And you know who he's working on? You. You, me. He's saying, no, 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 remember I told you I'm faithful? Remember I I, I demonstrated to you my faithfulness? Remember I told you my mercies, they're new every morning. Hope and wait. Hope and wait. And when we wait on God, it is never wasted. Because while we wait, Our God works. While we wait, our God works. And God's denials, or God's delays rather, are not his denials. It's the way that he works on us. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed.